Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information, head to calvarystgeorges.org. One of the things I do so appreciate about the Gospels and what makes it so trustworthy is... uh, how the disciples just don't seem to get it. If this was a man-made document, they would have been perfect and been like, totally, Jesus, we get it right from the get-go. But in actuality, um, it's extremely comforting that uh, they don't ever really get it because uh, neither do I, you know. And so I especially relate to the disciples in today's gospel reading in a major way. If you recall, our gospel reading today takes place immediately following last week's Uh, reading, uh, where Jesus is teaching the disciples, quote-unquote, leadership principles. And uh, I kind of find that funny, because um, the leadership principles of Jesus, there was a book about that a couple of years ago, and I thought that was really funny, because he was kind of a terrible leader when you really think about it. I mean, everybody abandoned him right at his death. And uh, it wasn't until the very end, and he didn't pick the most successful. It's just completely upside down. And so here he is, and he's teaching some leadership principles there in Capernaum, and uh, he grabs this baby, if you remember from last week, and in my mind's eye, I picture him taking the baby and putting it right on his knee, and he says, um, whoever wants to be first must be last and must be a servant of all. Now, I bring this up I bring this up because the baby on Jesus' lap here becomes our lens into understanding Jesus' response to John when John tells him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he's not following us. Picture John saying that, and that baby's on Jesus' knee right there. And at least for me as a clergyman, this is so familiar— Because I try and make Jesus and the message of God's wonderful grace found in him a trademark of Calvary St. George's, you know what I mean? I'd be like, how dare that other church preach the blood of Jesus? You know, that's exclusively our message. And uh, uh, many of you know this about me um, uh, because I've confessed it to you, but I could become extremely jealous of other ministers and what they're doing. I remember one time, and you know, and I think that we are the main thing, you know, uh, subconsciously and consciously. I remember one time I was in an ecumenical gathering, and uh, and uh, you know, the insignificance of the Episcopal Church was being really highlighted at this moment. Just, and somebody came up to me, and they were like, "Jake, why are you an Episcopalian?" And I said, "Because God's an Episcopalian," and I felt obliged. And so, but uh, uh, you know, but I I need to be needed. I mean, yes, 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 it's all about Jesus, but it's also about me, and I want to be necessary, and I need to be needed, and who doesn't want to be needed? I mean, I don't believe I'm unique in this feeling. Think about your own industry, and you thought you were going to get an award because you were really necessary to the project, and it went to someone else. You know, think about how you did all of this stuff for your family, and you needed to be needed, and you thought you'd get recognized, and it didn't happen. And sadly, this need to be needed, when I bring it back to the church, the history of the Christian church, um, when the church needs to be needed, it is usually at its worst. Because our attempts at being necessary and relevant end up uh, creating strife and division. It ends up domesticating the gospel completely and bringing it under our control. 
as if we have the market on Jesus and he actually needs us. This is why I sometimes bristle when I hear about partnerships with God and things like that, as if he's just been waiting for me. And so picture our gospel reading today, and don't forget what I said. In my mind's eye, Jesus has this little baby right on his knee. And he has this baby from last week's gospel right on his knee. Uh, because, and remember, this is before the 1950s when the world started seeing children as innocent and maybe a marketing demographic. Uh, this is in the ancient world. And children in Jesus' day, as in much of the third world still today, are seen as basically needy and essentially insignificant. Essentially insignificant. And yet Jesus has this baby on his knee. And he's listening to John say, you know, we tried to get that guy to stop telling people about you because he's not one of us. This is my first point. And remember this. Like the baby in Capernaum, there in my mind's eye on Jesus' knee, you are cherished by God more than you could possibly imagine. Without a shadow of a doubt, you are a beloved child of God. Never, ever forget that he loves you so much that he has died for you and he has redeemed you. However, like the baby on Jesus' knee, you are not necessary. I have written in my prayer book, there is only one Savior of the world, And you are not it. And I need this. I need to be reminded that no one is absolutely necessary to the success of the kingdom of God. This can be a hard thing for New Yorkers to swallow, uh, you know, your own necessity. But the truth is, and just think about it in your own relationships, just think about it in your work context, not just in church, when necessity becomes the center of our lives, when our need to be needed begins to take control, it breaks us. It can destroy us under the weight of necessity. And this plays out in every relationship. It can turn us against each other, I mean, I think, I think that's one of the problems and the great divides in this country is that people think that they're necessary and their need to be needed is taking control. But just think how this plays out into every relationship. And it is actually liberating to begin to realize that the salvation of the world, the salvation of your parents, The salvation of your children, the salvation of a relationship, doesn't rest on your shoulders. But rather, necessity, it rests on the shoulders of Jesus Christ, who stretched out his arms upon the hardwood of the cross that everyone might come within the reach of his saving embrace. John couldn't bear this necessity. He thought he could. You can't bear it. I can't bear it. I think I can. But only Jesus can bear it. The burden of necessity. 
And so therefore, we place the burden of necessity in our lives in the right place. And that's squarely on him. The death and resurrection, never forget this. The death and resurrection of Jesus is so all-embracing. We often fail to appreciate just how deep, how broad, and how wide it actually is. It boggles our minds. And it causes us to wonder, surely there must be something I got to do. We want to believe, like John here. You know, we've made the right decisions. I mean, I've got two degrees in theology. I am necessary. Made all the right choices. I've done the right things. God must need me. And without me, he can't do anything. Yet we forget at the very foundation of the gospel is that while we were helpless in our sins, while we were dead in our trespasses, God did everything for us in that death and resurrection of Jesus. Yet failing to comprehend that Christ in one cosmic act has worked redemption for the whole world, we wittingly and unwittingly become stumbling blocks to people's faith. These are the stumbling blocks that we put up in our necessity and our need to be needed. Typically, it manifests itself in the American church um, in behavior modification, and I know some of you have come out of that. You know, if you're going to be a Christian, then you better do this, X, Y, and Z. Um, it manifests itself in mainline churches, to, typically with your political affiliation. You know, and are you part of the right political party? Or with maybe you have certain worldviews that are very essential to the whole thing, to being a real Christian, a mature Christian. And we put these stumbling blocks up, and Jesus says, woe to all of that. It's better for you to have a millstone around your neck. And just think about this city. It is loaded with people who have tried to escape Christianity because they never heard it. And this is one of the greatest failures of the church. And why we enjoy our forgiveness Sunday after Sunday here at Calvary St. George's. Because nothing should ever inhibit you from God's grace and from his mercy. And from his work for you, it is freely given. And no amount of you being necessary will hold it back from his grace. And so, like many of my jokes on Sunday, those things which are stumbling blocks. <laughs> but anyway, um, <laughs> those things requirements, those things need to be cut off. This is what Jesus is getting at here. Cutting off your hand, cutting off your foot, plucking out your eye. That will not save you. That will not save you. Rather, what Jesus is getting at is the doing, the walking, the seeing, 
those things which we think will justify us or contribute to our justification apart from Christ alone, those things which we think make us necessary, they need to be removed. In Leo Tolstoy's amazing short story, Father Sergius, uh, the story, uh, Tolstoy tells a story about a very pious monk named Father Sergius, and at this particular moment in the story about the middle way through, there are now miracles attributed to Father Sergius, and he is a cloistered monk by himself, and he's almost a mystery that some of the town ladies want to see if they can tempt him. So one of the ladies goes up and she knocks on the door. She knocks on the door and it's raining and it's October in Russia and it's cold and, uh, and he peeks through the cloister like the hole and he sees her and he can see the silhouette of her body through it. She's like, Father Sergius, let me in, let me in, it's so cold. And he's like, go away, go away. And she's very insistent, she keeps knocking on the door. And so finally he like peeks through and he goes to the backyard and he grabs an axe and he chops his finger right off and then he answers the door and he's like, what do you need? And, uh, and um, this act so freaks her out that the temptress is converted and the next day she joins the nunnery. However, as you begin to read the story, you realize the removal of the finger never converted Sergius's heart. And this is my second point. It is interesting. The one part of the body we are not commanded to remove is your ears. And this is because faith comes not by seeing, faith does not come by doing, but faith comes by hearing. And it is ultimately through the ears that one hears the gospel. And that all of the stumbling blocks that stand between you and God have been completely removed because of the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. And the very source of our sin, which is not your eyes, not your hands, not your legs, but your heart's. Why, he has gone in by faith and surgically removed it. And as the prophet Ezekiel says so beautifully, he has removed your heart of stone already. And when you were baptized, he gave you a heart of flesh. You have a new heart already. And this is the good news of the gospel. Through hearing, God himself cuts away all of the religious nonsense And gives us himself in totality. All for you. All for your justification. All for your preservation. Which then begins to make sense of this final illustration. Jesus, I picture, takes the little baby and sets him down. And he says, for everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. But if salt has lost its saltiness, how can you season it? Have salt in yourself and be at peace with one another. Well, this is counterintuitive too, because today we're all told to stay away from salt. (laughs) I can't. I love it. I love it. Maybe you've heard of the God-shaped hole in your heart. It's not there. Um, But mine is filled with cholesterol and sin. And uh, a lot of that comes from salt. But for those of us who love salt, let me tell you something about it. I know three things about salt. First, it preserves things. Second, salt purifies things. And then third, salt accentuates things. Now, what a lot of people don't know is that in Israel in these days, 
Salt was sprinkled on a sacrifice before it was burned. And what's going to see you through the fires of judgment, what is going to preserve you through the age that is to come, is not your own necessity. What purifies us and what sees us through the fire of judgment is the salt of Jesus' dying for our sins and rising for our justification. And let me tell you, people wonder why the church in America is dying. And it's because we need more salt in our life. Christianity, when it's dominated by our necessity, that always downplays the death and resurrection of Jesus for your part. When, when, when that happens, Christianity becomes a bland and tasteless religion, and count me out. However, and this is my third point, Christianity, when it is salty, I'm talking horse lick salty, I'm talking high-quality blue label, Michelin star uh, uh, sea salt, that kind of salt, what that does is that calls you and it calls you to enjoy your forgiveness. It calls you to receive his grace. And it calls you to abide in his mercy. And when that happens, not only do you find yourself less in the way as a stumbling block, but because God is at peace with you, the Holy Spirit, working through your life, begins to accentuate, actually, who you actually are. Because you don't have to be anyone else. And I don't know about you, but me, this helps me. You know, the tightness in my chest when I'm jealous. When I'm feeling necessary. Allows me to take a deep breath and just kind of release that and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. Over the totality of my life. And that everything is a complete gift from him. To be here and to hear that my sins are forgiven. To have the eyes of my heart opened by the bread that is his body and the wine that is his blood. And it's all gift here in this amazing mystical supper. That the next time I bump into someone serving in the name of Jesus. The next time you bump into someone who's probably more necessary than you are. There's no need to be jealous. There's no need to stop them. For in fact, the gospel is much bigger and better than any of us ever thought it was. And we're here rejoicing in that today. So enjoy your forgiveness and God bless you. Amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of the parish, you can make an online donation at calvarystgeorges.org slash giving. Thank you.